Homemade crumbs are going to taste better. You'll save money. Don't, don't, don't leave crumbs. Let's make breadcrumbs. What would be really helpful is to try and maybe get a bit of an understanding in terms of the potted history of course architecture throughout the years. So kind of thinking about the different eras going right back to the golden age and how you see how that's evolved over the last sort of, you know, 100 plus years, really, I guess. It's interesting. So the first architects were pro golfers often. And it was really the, the, the there was a lot of thinking around punishing bad shots. That sounded like it made sense, just punish bad shots and reward good shots by having people hit the ball straight and hit it in the air. So there were lots of cross bunkers across fairways that caught the top shots. You know, it was a penal way of thinking about playing the game. The Mackenzie and Colt came along and Mackenzie wrote golf architecture and then the Spurtus and Andrews, which is essentially dope rewrote the Spirit of St Andrews just in modern language and updated it. But you know, he's really saying the same things. But Mackenzie was the first guy, one of the first to talk about George Thomas Simpson, Tom Simpson. Let's make golf a little more interesting. Let's make it not about punishing bad shots, but about rewarding good shots. But giving the poorer players a, a way to play bogey golf, not by, I mean, who wants to punish the worst shots of the, the poorest players? You know, the most interesting part of the old course was to is how, is how it how they figured out how, how to reward the best shots of the best players by having them skirt down the dangerous lines to open up the best lines you know the flag. So Mackenzie and Colton, that generation, ushered in the era of strategic design, really. So and it wasn't about punishing bad shots, but more about rewarding good shots. So out of that, we got Cypress Point, Augusta. C.B. McDonald did the National Golf Links of America, which was the first great golf course in America, which was essentially, he went to Scotland and Britain and, Britain and just copied the best of the Lynx calls and transported them over to Southampton in, in, in northern New York there. So that was really the first dramatic transformation. And you talk about the golden age. So Thomas and Tillinghast and Flynn were building all the great courses in America. Mackenzie was doing what he was doing down here. They'd done all the great Heathland courses in London. So then the, the depression came and stopped everything pretty much. Augusta Bellary you know, was struggling for pleading for members. Mackenzie never got paid, died penniless, 1933 or four. Depression was seven years and the war came. All of the great Golden Age architects you know, that, that era died out. So then we got Trent Jones and Dick Wilson were the two famous guys in America, Hawtrey, I guess, in, in Britain, and ushered in this new era of, you know, as Peter Thompson called it, fins on Cadillacs, lakes, you know, big long tees, signature holes, all that stuff that Trent Jones did. In the, in the 50s and 60s and it was it was American it was flashy it was you know it was starting to be the era when pro golf came to dominate the way people thought about golf courses and, and what was good design um, 
the golden age era, of course, weren't that old. They were only 30 or 40 years old. So they hadn't grown to the stature that they enjoy now because they were still seen as, you know, kind of perhaps quaint or even old-fashioned. But here was this new modern age that was American and it was, you know, fins on Cadillacs and it was everything American was great. Nothing, nothing was happening in Australia. Nothing was happening in, in England much or Britain much. And America was where... Yeah. That was where all the, all the work was getting done. And people came to see golf architecture as what that was, or good architecture as what they saw in their TVs from America. PGA Tour, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, which kind of led to the era of the famous player architect. So Palmer got into the business, Nicholas player. Uh, you know, they were the big guys in the. Well, well, and, and of course, Pete, Pete Dye was a huge influence on that era too. So, so, so Dye was, the, was a serious golf course architect who built his own work. Um, famously said that I watched what Trent Jones was doing and headed, head, and headed off in the exact opposite direction. And, and Harbour Town, which he, which he did with Nicholas, was seen as the first anti-Trent Jones course, smaller greens, compact, not flashy, but stuff built on the ground, um, clever, strategic, um, you, know, you know, a throwback to an earlier era, really. So, um, but, 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 the, but the 80s in fairness ushered in the era of, you know, the famous golf course architect where, where lots of stuff was built by, they would, they were hired by people selling real estate, famous name sold real estate they were building tens of courses a year all, all around the world so, so how much time could they spend doing that so they drew detailed plans they gave it out to contractors contractors built the golf courses they were pretty good they, you know, there were lots of BMWs built at the time but Royal Melbourne and Sangdale were Ferraris in, in contrast and these famous architects they, they were kind of there for you know the sort of ceremonial aspects of yeah. of opening up the golf. Yeah. They weren't hands-on kind of overseeing. Yeah, and, and these are kind of broad generalizations. But yeah, they would. That they, how much time could they spend on site? Whereas Pete Dye was famous for you know not drawing plans. It was someone turned up with plans one day and said, you know, what do you want those for? I'm here every day. I, I don't need plans. So, and, and he trained young guys like Bill Core and Tom Doak and. You know, Gil worked with Tom and Gil Hans. So I guess we evolved into an era where a group of young kids, you know, I'm, I'm calling Tom a young kid, he grew up watching how the business had developed and thought that perhaps the way the old guys did it was pretty good, spending, spending time on site, working with shapers they knew, um, and, and that... And that I, ushered in the era which was I guess the first course you would look at was to, to point to the, the start of the modern era was Sandhills in Nebraska so Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw had this phenomenal piece of land in Nebraska middle of nowhere terrible model for a golf course no real estate only playable five months a year but they built an amazing golf course that cost nothing to build um Mike Kaiser was an early investor and a member. 
Kaiser saw how well that worked. He was a wealthy greeting card guy, sold his business, had a passion for building great golf courses, went to Bend in, in Oregon, built a big chunk of land on the ocean for not much money in the middle of nowhere. Every, he told me, he said, everyone thought I was completely crazy. He said, it's too far away. No one will go out there. Hired David Kidd, who was a Scottish son of the greenkeeper at Glen Eagles, someone no one had ever heard of. Gave him a chance and said, well, you know, Kaiser said, well, if you screwed up, I could fire him without, you know, costing me too much. So David did Band in Dunes. People loved it. That worked. Hired Tom Doak. Tom Doak to Pacific Dunes. That worked. Um, kid called Greg Ramsey rang me. Had a piece of land in Tasmania in a little town called Bridport in the middle of nowhere. Well, it wasn't his land, but it was, a guy, it was Richard Tatler's land. Um, I went down there and looked at it with Bruce Hebner, who was building Cape Kidnappers for Tom in New, in New, in New Zealand. Uh, Kaiser eventually got Tom to come and have a look at it. Sorry, Tom came to look at it. Tom got Kaiser to come and look at it. Kaiser emotionally underwrote it and told Richard Sattler, Richard, go and build it, let these guys do what they want. So Bamboogle got built. So, but Bung, if Dick Youngscap had never built Sandhills, Kaiser never would have done Bandon and Bamboogle never would have got built. So here were these three kind of places in the middle of nowhere that no one ever thought had a chance of working that really worked. And, and they weren't built by famous pro, golf pros they didn't cost a lot of money and they were incredibly successful. So, you know, Gil Hans did Castle Stewart, um, King's Barnes worked. So all, all these tremendous golf courses, they, they were built, largely built on the models of uh, what, what Colt and McKenzie had done. You know, hands-on work done by great architects who weren't building a whole bunch of courses at the t- you know, at one time that they were spending their lives devoted to one or two or three projects a year. And pretty quickly, the, the world of, you know, the small little world that is golf course architecture, I guess started to realize that the stuff that, and, and it's been led by Bill, Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw, really. Well, they determined that, I mean, Bill could have called the company, rather than calling it Corr and Crenshaw, could have called it Crenshaw and Corr, and they could have gone out and built 150 golf courses probably but they took a completely different model and said we're only going to work with people we like and we're only going to work on great bits of land and by definition that restricts the number of courses you're going to build but it also gives you a chance to only build great golf and to build a reputation as, as being an architect who builds great golf courses so Sandhills was 1993, so what are we, almost 30 years ago. And those guys have only ever done, perhaps not every course they've done is great, but they're pretty close to it. So 30 years on, those, well, well, 70 years from now, looking back, those guys are going to be as revered as Mackenzie and Colton, George Thomas and Tom Simpson are now, but because people are going to look back at their work and there'll be 40 or 50 courses and every one of them would be awesome. Whereas if you, you know, go back to the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s, how many people are looking back at the golf courses that got built in that era and thinking, wow, they're awesome. 
There are a few, but not that many. <laughs>